When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. It's that time of year when people normally are in the key home buying season. The spring selling season in most areas of the country is the most active of selling seasons for homes. But I'm getting so many questions with mortgage rates going way up now, home prices haven't gone way up. Do I buy a house now? Do I wait? What do I do? I'm going to give you my two cents. And later, Dollar General, which is perhaps the fastest growing retailer in the United States, is getting really hammered for how they treat their workers and their managers. And I've got a warning about this for all business owners to hear. So mortgage rates, most recent scary headlines, rates are at the highest level they've been in the last 11 years. We've been through a cycle since 2011 of extremely historically low mortgage rates. And now we've got a combo deal. We've got Federal Reserve that has done everything they could to prop up the economy and has put us in a position where they have a lot of the responsibility for the inflation we're having now, that they are, in fact, going to roll off a lot of the money they pumped in the economy, which is, believe it or not, it's one of those numbers that's hard to get your arms around, $9 trillion. I mean, that's even more than Elon Musk has, or Jeff Bezos, $9 trillion. And, and uh, so the moves of the Federal Reserve to manipulate so as the money supply over the years has artificially held down mortgage rates. And also they had the luxury of doing so because the underlying inflation rate around the developed world was extremely low, below normal historical averages. And then we had COVID come along, and then all the money that the, in our country with our Congress and other countries around the world pumped all this money into the economy, and voila, we now have inflation. Too many dollars chasing too few goods or services has led to higher prices, and now the combo of all these things has the fixed-rate mortgage above 5%. And then at the same time, in much of the country, it's like, what do I do? apartment rents and homes for rent they keep going up and up and up in price and so my rent is ugly really badly ugly and then i've got the fact that i'm facing higher mortgage rates on home prices have gone way up it feels like a train wreck to me well the reality is it is an ugly thing and there are no like automatic perfect answers here but 
Barron's did an in-depth thing about when even today it still makes sense to buy a home versus when it makes sense to continue to rent. And the interesting thing is that it varies so much by metro area. There are a lot of metro areas where the home prices are such that it makes much more sense with where the home prices are to rent instead of to buy. And then others where the complete opposite is true. As an example, I'm looking at this chart of where apartment rents have gone berserk. And where have they gone more berserk than anywhere else in America? I wouldn't have guessed this. Miami. If you go back a year ago, the average rent on a two-bedroom was $1,800. Today, it's $3,000. That's beyond unbelievable. And then there are markets where the increases have been relatively small percent-wise. Boston, which historically has been one of the most expensive places to rent because people are leaving Boston, rents there have not gone through the roof. And there are a number of other places in the country that rents have not gone crazy. But then to the core, are you better off renting or are you better off buying? It really depends on your particular market. And here's some cities that buying over renting is absolutely superior because the average mortgage is much lower than the average apartment rent, what you have to pay per month for a mortgage versus apartment rent. Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Cleveland, Detroit, Birmingham. All, if you look at a map, all in like this central part of the country, center east, I guess you could say, where the rents way outpace what you're looking at and what a monthly mortgage payment is. But what about renting over buying. Austin, Texas, number one on the list. Austin is one of the hottest markets in the United States. New York, which it's pretty much always been true that renting is a much better deal than buying in New York. And then the San Francisco Bay Area, San Jose, San Francisco, much better to rent than to buy. And Boston, better to rent than to buy. And this kind of thing is what you look at market by market, is what does it cost you effectively, not counting in the maintenance costs and other stuff with buying a home, but where is it that the monthly cost for that mortgage versus the rent you have to pay, where is that lower? It needs to be lower for it to be a really good decision to buy versus rent, because remember, you got to add taxes, you got to add insurance, you got to add money for repairs what they call the behind the door expenses. You got to think through those things when you're looking to buy. On the mortgage front, the reality is mortgage rates don't go in any one direction. So if you are able to get a better price on a home because buyers are being scared off by the mortgage rates, it means, yeah, you took out an ugly mortgage by today's standards and you bought a place at an ugly price. But over time, there will be opportunities in your homeownership cycle where you'll be able to refi. 
And so there, there are, in the midst of this very great difficulty, there are possible places where even today it makes sense for you to buy. And I shared recently on the podcast, if you didn't hear it and you're in the home buying market, go listen to what I had to say about how even in an expensive metro area, there are huge variations in what prices are on homes from one part of an expanded metro area to another, where normally I say, go find a part of town that you like and then start looking for a home. Now I say, do the opposite. Go look at what prices are in different parts of town and find the lowest cost part of town that you'd be happy living in. That's where you should be doing your search for a home. Krista? Chris in Colorado says, with the current inflation rates, does it still make sense to pay off our mortgage early? We save 20% in retirement accounts and have no other debt. So Chris, awesome on your part. That is fantastic. You have no debts other than your mortgage. You're saving 20 cents of every dollar you make. All right, this is really great. So the mortgage. Your mortgage rate, depending on when you bought your home, may be very, very low, significantly below the rate of inflation. So if it is well below the rate of inflation, the desire to pay off your mortgage now is really more psychological than it is truly financial. You know, if we were still looking at prevailing low rates of inflation and mortgage rates generally were low, Uh, then it'd be fine if you wanted to pay off your mortgage, be completely debt-free. But right now, when you look out a number of years, if you've got a mortgage at, like Krista, at one point something percent, or like many people at two point something percent, then paying off that mortgage early is not going to be a productive use of funds because the longer-term investment opportunities will outrun that. So I wouldn't say in your case it would make a great deal of sense to pay off the mortgage. But again, the psychological value of carrying no debt at all, I carry no debt of any kind. Uh, Most of my adult life, I've carried zero debt, including against homes. I hate debt. And did that have some detriment for me? Maybe so. Maybe I could have made more money at the margins by carrying low interest rate debts of some kind. But I just despise debt. You know what I do? My rate is 1.875, but I always round up to the next 100 on my payments. So I feel like I'm doing something. It's not hugely significant, but psychologically And at 1.875, it's only psychological to speed that up because, I mean, that's great money you got. Yes. Nobody's getting 1.875% mortgages anymore. We're going to live there forever. This is from Joe in Colorado. As a first-time buyer, I'm experiencing a lot of stress home shopping, and the reality is my life has paused due to this problem. Many have put their lives on pause because of high housing costs, not starting a family, etc. I refuse to pay today a $100,000 or $200,000 markup of a home. That's the price difference from just two years ago here in Denver. I wish you had mentioned how corporate investors like BlackRock and Progress Residential are buying up thousands of homes and taking home ownership out of the hands of buyers. These corporate investors want to make us all renters, and they're destroying the American dream. I also believe there is something to be said about demand with less emphasis on supply. I could probably find a cheap home in rural towns for 150 k but forget it near big cities where the jobs are. Yeah, so Joe, let me go back to the thing you said in the middle of what you said about BlackRock 
and the others, um, there's a big backlash around the country. And a lot of homeowners associations are passing rules that have the effect of banning these corporate buyers because it's always been true that absentee owners do not keep up a property like an owner-occupied resident does. And then the homeowner associations, where the homeowner association communities are mandatory, or covenant communities, they're facing a terrible problem because these absentee corporate owners don't fix things right, they don't do things right, they don't maintain the property right, and the association's left trying to find one of these big out-of-stater outfits, and it's a serious, serious problem on many different levels, and there are going to be a number of moves over this year and next year reining in the corporate buyers. One of the things I expect to happen is punitive taxation on properties that are bought by absentee investors. And there's going to be all kinds of lawsuits about that because how do you differentiate between the individual who might own a rental property or two in their neighborhood or their community and these faceless big private equity entities or corporations that are becoming so devastating to so many communities around the country? So there will be governmental intervention. There will be the homeowners association interventions. As for what you said, Denver, which I mentioned earlier about the rents and home buying, Denver is an impossible market right now for a first-time home buyer. It just is. But what is doesn't necessarily remain. The housing market is not going to collapse Uh, There's a lot of worry about that. I think you even have questions for me about that. But the prices cannot stay beyond people's ability to afford for so long and still have a robust home sales market. So unless you want to own the home you're looking at for 10 years or more, Joe, I'd say right now in the Denver metro area, you sit on your hands. So speaking of a potential crash, Brian in North Carolina says this, my wife and I purchased our home four years ago. We have seen a tremendous increase in value. Currently our home is worth around 550,000 and we're looking at moving up to the 800 to $900,000 range. Would it be ideally a better value to make that move after a potential housing market crash or now while the prices are still increasing? From a financial perspective, would it be best to wait as long as possible on this decision as we're not in a rush to move? Well, I just alluded to it, Brian, and it's interesting the way you pose the question. So I don't anticipate, because we don't have a net surplus of housing units in the United States, I don't anticipate any kind of major crash. There's more and more people on cable news that are trying to get eyeballs by talking about how we've got this coming total house collapse. And people buy into it because anybody who experienced what happened after the banking scandals from 2007 to 12, you're just like, oh, I mean, history's going to repeat itself again here 15 years later from when that started. That's not how this is going to play. Because then we had way too many housing units. Today, the problem is we have too few. What will happen, though, is reversion to mean, which means that the future increase in value in homes will be less than it would have been when you look over time 
It doesn't mean that values collapse, but we could see some softness in home prices. Again, not a major move down, but we could see softness. So incomes will rise over time, but what those incomes will be equivalent in purchasing power will increase versus the prices of homes. So it's not a dramatic price move in the housing market coming on the downside. There is no collapse in the cards, but housing prices are not going to continue to rise at anything like the rate of they've done in the past. That comes to your question. So you got a home worth more than half a million. You're looking at going up in home to somewhere uh, not quite double that price, but quite a bit more. So you're trading inflated dollars selling your home for inflated dollars buying a home. And so the inflation in that price point, here's how you look at it. You need to find out if homes at the higher price point have accelerated at a slower rate than your home has over the years. If And many times that will be true, that at the higher end of the housing market, the price bumps have been more gradual as a percent than they've been at the lower price points. In which case, if you're ready to move up, you can afford to do so, then you could certainly consider selling your inflated home to then buy the more expensive inflated home. If, on the other hand, you find that the percent increase in values has been same or similar at your price point and the higher price point, or even more at the higher price point in terms of a percent increase, if this all makes sense, then it makes a better decision being waiting for the moderation in home prices. Again, not a decline of any significance, but a moderation in those price points. So this is a hard area, though. We get so many I mean, many you questions. and I, how many questions do we get every week about the problems in the housing market mm-hmm. from the price point of a buyer? It's off the charts. It is. This is a hard one to give the exact right advice. We do the best we can. Um, speaking of doing the best you can, there are a lot of companies that do very well by their workers. There are others known for treating their workers like dirt. There's one company that right now is getting some unwelcome publicity for supposedly treating its workers like dirt or worse. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The older people who run American corporations really psychologically, mentally aren't ready for how this generation of workers 
are going to speak out and how they're going to make their opinions known. And then you throw in social media on the equation and companies just don't get it. What's funny is the old mostly dudes who run big companies in America have kids that they should understand from them that things have changed, but somehow they can't make that connection between how different their kids are and how differently their kids communicate and how people who work for them who are in their 20s and 30s are going to behave when they treat them badly. There's this ongoing saga that is really built around TikTok. And I would challenge you to ask any of these old dudes who run any of these corporations to even figure out how to use TikTok because they can't. They don't get how their reputation is no longer an internal matter. It becomes an external matter. And the example I love to give, and I spoke to a management group about this recently, was I talked about reputational harm from your workers and what happened to Walmart, which was a slow rolling thing that went on for years, where Walmart at one time, there are people who work at Walmart would say they still don't treat their workers well, but there's been a huge sea change at Walmart for the good. But Walmart, for a long, long time, treated their workers really poorly. They would schedule them up, schedule them down, change their shifts all the time, and not pay them well at all, and had no meaningful benefits. But Walmart did that in an era where things spread word of mouth, person to person, very slowly. And then ultimately, Walmart got slapped hard by the marketplace when people started looking at Walmart as a pariah. I look at Walmart, as I've said before, in a phrase that has generated a lot of angry posts on Clark Stinks over the years. I look at Walmart as one of the greatest anti-poverty programs in the history of the United States. By efficiently being able to distribute goods to people at a generally lower price than was available in the marketplace, they have kept a lot of money in people's wallets that wouldn't be there otherwise. But along the way, the workers were the collateral damage. And then Walmart's name, its reputation, suffered so much damage because of how they were treating people. Well, now Dollar General, which is the fastest growing retailer in the United States, one of the fastest, maybe the fastest growing in the world, Dollar General is under all-out assault from its own workers and managers on social media specifically and primarily TikTok. Why? Because Dollar General has had a reputation in the financial trades forever that they treat their workers horribly, pay them terribly, and that a lot of their stores are in rural areas where unemployment is higher than in urban and suburban areas. Workers don't have a lot of other places they can work, and so they're able to take advantage. By the way, Dollar General is free at any time to have someone on the podcast with me to dispute my characterization about how you treat your employees. But it doesn't matter what I'm saying because what's happening is on ground level, a worker will take out their phone when something really bad happens in the store they're working at. Somebody 
treats them like trash, and they're posting a video right away. And a lot of times with people in their 20s and 30s, it is fire-ready aim, not really thinking about the implications of the anger of the moment causing a post. But what's now happened, uh, the most recent story I saw, because I've been reading the Dollar General stuff for a while, was the New York Times article about the most famous or infamous Dollar General employee, now ex, Mary Gundell, who's 33, who was a manager who had been decorated as one of the top employees at Dollar General, and started posting about how nobody at corporate was listening about the problems she was having with staffing in the store, the number of hours that she was having to work, the number of shifts that Dollar General stores are staffed by only one employee, creating great danger for that one person. Number of times shelves are not stocked. Well, once she did so, this decorated employee at Dollar General was promptly fired by Dollar General. She has become very organized, posting, and has now led to a virtual army of current and former Dollar General managers and employees posting on TikTok and other places about the problems there are working in Dollar General and that it is now a very organized, not movement, because you think of movements as starting top down. This is starting from the bottom up. And this is the thing I want to say, um, using Dollar General basically as an example, because Dollar General will decide at corporate if they're going to say, hey, gosh, maybe we do have a problem here. Maybe we need to listen to what the people who work for us are saying, or maybe we just try to squash them all like a bug and find new bugs to squash later. It's going to be their choice. And Dollar General is in a somewhat unique position that a huge percent of their stores, again, they're the most viable employer in the area, and they're a really valuable outlet for people who shop in those areas because they're in retail deserts in vast stretches of rural America, Dollar General fills a very important hole. And Dollar General did respond, as I talked about before, with fruits and vegetables. Dollar General had been really taking it hard, people, about how everything they sold there was processed food. And they've done a really good job eventually hearing the marketplace and putting in freezers and refrigerated units and fresh produce and all that where people could buy more nutritious food in their stores and it's actually worked out for them because they eventually listened to the market now it's time for them to listen to the market about labor but this is about you if you're a business owner know that your younger workers and generally there's a generation gap between the bosses and the younger workers the bosses tend to be older much of the lion's share of the workforce is younger, and you're missing how you no longer have the control over your reputation that you had before. And I think about how companies of any size that have always had PR departments or media departments, they used to be able to do damage control and control the message well. You can't anymore. 
because people have got all these tools to be able to come after you, rightly or wrongly, justified or unjustified. So what you've got to do is you've got to listen to them. And when they're justified, you need to eat a little humble pie and listen because it's your business's future. Your business depends on the people that work for you. The really good businesses over time are companies that not only say they value their workers, they really do. And if you got one person complaining all the time, it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. But when more and more people say, you don't have your act together in how you treat us, you better listen to that. Because it's not about what Starbucks and Amazon are going through, through with the unionization stuff. That's not what matters. What matters is that you want employees who feel a sense of loyalty that you have earned from them, and they in turn have that loyalty to you and in turn serve your customers. The companies that serve their workers serve their customers best. And it's up to each enterprise if they're going to do that or not. But there's a lesson, a very important one, that you should get from this. How would I have ever known about all the stuff going on with Dollar General if it hadn't become such a buzz on social media? That's what's changed, is that people who traditionally have been looked at as having no platform as being powerless to institute change, are now able to be heard and in numbers that become too large to ignore. How's that for a phrase to start this? That's great. Virtual pickets. Okay, this is from a very impressive young person, Emerson in Idaho. My parents listen to your podcast every night, so I'm hoping you can help me out. I'm 15 years old, and I've owned and operated a small business successfully for over a year. I currently have personal and business debit cards through our credit union, but I've learned I shouldn't use those for business supply purchases online or anywhere, really. I would like to get a credit card, but again, I'm only 15. My parents primarily use their Costco executive membership visa and occasionally their Amazon credit card just for Amazon purchases. If they were to add me as an authorized user to their Costco visa, would I be able to use it at Costco gas pumps? And my mom wants to know if my purchases will be separated on the bill each month or if she'd have to go through it with a fine tooth comb to see how much I owed. Or is there a better credit card I could convince my parents to open for my use only that would allow me to contribute any rewards to a Roth IRA? Okay, wow. Okay, still your heart, right? 15 years old, entrepreneur, running your own small business. You got to love this. So uh, your parents' risk is that you're irresponsible with the card. They've got to make a decision about who you are and what you're about. So both issues here. First, the Costco executive membership. The Costco Visa card from Citibank does break out your bill by individual card users. So your mom would not face any hard work figuring out what were your expenses. There were business expenses that would be part of your business that you needed to reimburse them for. On having rewards that could go into a Roth IRA, the best way to do that is to have an investment account, which you're allowed to do at 15, with Fidelity Investments. 
and you can have a Roth IRA with them. You can have uh, your parents, of course, would have to get the card, but you could have the Fidelity Rewards credit card that would earn you 2% cash back. The thing I don't know is if the 2% cash back would go to them Their account. or to you because they would have to be the owner of the card and you as an authorized user. All right, so there's a way around this. All right, so if your parents have a Fidelity Investments account, they can have the money post to their investment account there, and then they can then in turn give you that amount of money that you've earned as rewards that you could then put into your Fidelity Roth IRA. One additional step, but it would work. The annual fee, of course, on the Costco Visa card, zero. On the Fidelity Investments credit card, zero. But you earn all your rewards with it. And yes, you could use the Costco Visa card to pay for gas at the pump. This is from Robert in Oregon. I have a $700 legitimate debt to a business. I haven't paid it and it has gone to collections. I want to pay it off now, but how do I know they are legit and won't try to scam me? Good question, Robert. So the people pretending to be or saying they're from the collection agency, what you do is you find their number on your own, not the number that they tell you to contact them at. You also should call the business that the $700 debt is from and ask, is this the collection agency they use for collection of debts and that you would like to pay the debt, you're happy to pay it right to the business if they'll still take the money from you, but you want to make sure that the collector you're paying is the legitimate collector. But before they get any money from you, you need a letter from them, it can be an email, stating that payment of the dollars you owe, the $700, constitutes payment in full on the debt. Until you have that, you don't pay them a cent. And I want to thank you for joining us. You want more ways to take your wallet to a new level? I want you to check out Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.